0: hi this is the podcast channel of lighthouse church in ottawa canada we are a family we don't do life alone we are about the one each and every one thank you so much for tuning in today our hope and prayer is always for life change here is today's message be blessed as you listen i'm going to be in romans chapter 12 so we've been in romans 8 for the past four weeks they're about um And now we're moving on to Romans chapter number 12. All right? Romans 12 is where we're going to be. Chapters 1, verses 1 and 2 for the beginning of our conversation today. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. All right, so this is what the Bible says. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, I plead with you, I implore you, Paul is saying to the Romans, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice wholly acceptable to god which is your reasonable service and he goes on to say do not be conformed to this world be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove which is that good acceptable and perfect will of god title of our conversation today is the walking dead the walking dead amen i just jump right into the conversation so, when you read the book of Romans, like we have been reading, Paul spends his time emphasizing that the work of salvation is done, is, is, is actually obtainable by grace, all right, not of works. So, it's nothing that you've done. God has done it all. You accept it, the grace of God, and you start to live that life by faith. Paul is the one who reminds us that we're saved by grace and through faith, he reminds us that it's not of works, let any man should boast. He's the one that says that with a heart, man believes with a mouth, confession is made unto salvation. He goes further to tell us that there is no condemnation to those of us who are in Christ Jesus. All right, So he establishes a very strong argument for the fact that we are justified, justified by our faith in Christ Jesus. We put our faith in Christ Jesus, we are, we are justified. And so because he very clearly expresses this in the earlier parts of the book of Romans, I'm pleased that he actually brings balance to it, because when we talk about doctrine, there are very few doctrines that are actually completely wrong or totally erroneous. What makes a lot of doctrines erroneous is the fact that they are overemphasized to the detriment of others and the balance is not brought to it. So Paul brings balance to doctrine here, and I love the fact that he does that. And Paul starts to address our responsibility. Because if salvation is by faith in Jesus, and Jesus has done everything, then what is our responsibility? What is it that we are meant to do? How are we meant to live having received this gift of salvation, which we didn't earn, by the way. Someone else paid the price for us. And so Romans chapter 12 is where he's basically talking about the fact that he wants us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable Keep that one in mind. Reasonable, reasonable service. But for us to continue our conversation today, I have to build a foundation. I have to lay a foundation, all right? One of the things that happens to us when we give our heart to Jesus, quite a number of things happen. I can't go into all that right now, I'm pressed for time today. One of the things that happens is the fact that we become priests unto God. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a royal priesthood. All right. It says in Revelation 1, 5 that he has made us kings and priests unto God. All right? Unto God. So we become priests. The office of the priest, the high priest, as it were, has been abolished. And what, what, what does this mean? You have to understand that in the Old Testament, all right, you had to be from the tribe of Levi to become a priest. And there was only one family from which the high priest could come from. So you had a high priest and you had priests. So not every priest. Levite was a priest but every priest was a Levite and the priests were given to service in the kingdom of in the house in the tabernacle of God they were given to service you know the offering accepting of offerings um, offering you know the sacrifices unto God on behalf of the people intercession the high priest would go before God on behalf of the people and he was a representative of the people before God and all that stuff that was the job of a priest in the Old Testament and when Jesus died pay attention when Jesus died on the cross the Bible tells us that the veil, the veil which was separating the holy of holies from the holy place, was torn. This was in a temple. Was torn in two from top to bottom. This sounds like, okay, did so someone rip it or something? No, this isn't just a piece of curtain that someone could rip. This thing was four inches thick. And when Jesus gave up the ghost on the cross, God ripped the veil in two. Ha! What that means is that the Ark of the Covenant, the Holy of Holies, was an exposed place now. In the Old Testament, the high priest was the only person who could go into the Holy of Holies. And not only that, he would go in once a year. And not only that, he would ride his wheel before he went in there, because technically it was very possible that he might not survive that, that adventure or that excursion. It was a very sensitive place where the very presence of God was kept, where it was housed. You, d- No human being dared to go into the Holy of Holies, you could die. Not you could, you surely would die if you went to the Holy of Holies. And so when the temple and the veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom, everybody that was there, physically at that time I'm sure, they took to their heels running for their life because they expected that they were all going to drop dead because this sacred Presence has now been exposed, and God did that as a symbol, obviously to 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 symbolize the fact that His presence has migrated from the temple, and now we, our bodies, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians chapter chapter six and verse nineteen: Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. All right, and He says that we are not our own; we're not our own anymore. So the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us, and we become priests by the virtue of that responsibility. That means that we are meant to offer up sacrifices unto God. We become priests unto God, but the priest has a high, a very significant responsibility. Um, you, you, the Bible actually says this in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 and 19, that therefore, brethren, we have boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. So now we're not high priests who actually approach the holiest of God with trepidation. We approach with boldness. By the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus has made it possible for you and I to go beyond that veil. To go into the very presence of God. To approach the Father. Alright. Without fear. Whatsoever. It says we have boldness to enter into the holy holiest by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. Hebrews 10, 19, and 20. There was a requirement to be a priest. Priesthood though. In the New Testament, when you give your heart to just you and I, you raise your hand in church, you subscribe to Christianity, because that's what we do days. we subscribe, all right, uh, with notifications. What happens is that you become a priest. Responsibility of priesthood is now being conferred upon you. And priesthood is the work and the job of every believer. And so Paul is saying to us that I know, I know that I have explained to you that it's not your works that get you saved. I know that I've explained to you that it's faith in Jesus, that Jesus has done it all, and it's the grace of God, and you should celebrate the grace of God. He's the apostle of grace. However, I need to plead with you. I need to plead with you, plead with you, that you do not neglect your responsibility, that you live, though, as people who have received the grace of God, that you do not abuse the grace of God, that you do not neglect the responsibility that comes with receiving the grace of God. And so he says, I beg you, I beseech you, I plead, that by the mercies of God, you do something. He says, you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Says Paul in 1 Corinthians. You have been bought with a price, he says. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirits, which are God. You have been Fought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body and your spirit. The thing about this whole priesthood dimension, because none of us wears a special garment. The priest would you know, wear special garments in the Old Testament. We all you know, put on our regular clothes. So priesthood is of the heart now, and of course, and of relationship. And this dimension of priesthood is this, because in the Old Testament, stay with me, everyone would bring their sacrifices or their offerings to the priest, and the priest would offer the sacrifices on behalf of the people so that they can be acceptable by God. And so, in the New Testament, we become, we become, we become the priests, but not only that we also become the sacrifices. so we come as priests first, to offer the sacrifice of ourselves before any other sacrifice. so you're not just a priest who brings sacrifices to God, you are also the offering, you're also the sacrifice. Remember the Bible talks about Abel in Genesis chapter four and verse four that Abel brought an offering to the Lord, and that God had respect for Abel first. And God had respect for his offering. Next. All right? So we are not just priests. We are also sacrifices. And so Paul is challenging us here. He's saying that you present your body as a living sacrifice unto God. And so with the Old Testament, and I'm staying in the Old Testament because I'm building the foundation. It gets better. In the Old Testament, there are different types of sacrifices. All right? You had the sin offering, the wave offering, the trespass offering, the peace offering, the burnt offering, and all that. But the kind of offering that Paul is referring to here a, as a living sacrifice that you need to offer to the Lord, to God, is a burnt offering. Because the burnt offering is the first kind that we see in Scripture. It preceded the law of Moses. You only get all these other kinds of offerings where God starts to define the offerings for them You know, after they have left Egypt. But Abraham offered an offering to the Lord. Noah offered a burnt offering to the Lord. So people had been offering, even Abel did that, offering to the Lord. In the Old Testament, the oldest form of offering was the burnt offering. And so Paul is referring to the burnt offering here. And this is symbolic because there are certain things you should know about the burnt offering. The first thing you should know about the burnt offering is that it was a voluntary offering. There were some offerings that were obligatory. You had to bring them. Sin offering, trespass offering, those were obligatory. You had to bring those ones, whether you like it or not. The burnt offering, though, was a voluntary offering. You brought it to God of your own accord. All right, just like Abel did. Second thing about the burnt offering is that not only is it an offering for sin, it also, and it is the only other offering that speaks or signifies a life of surrender and commitment to God. So you bring the burnt offering to, to, to the priest to signify an act of surrender to God. And the priest will offer that on your behalf. The third thing you must realize about the burnt offering, obviously, is that it was burnt. But Pay attention. It was burnt totally, completely. there (laughs) There was no part of it that was unburnt. It was consumed in totality. This is different because this was the only offering that was done this way. Every other offering, the priest would keep some parts back. The people would keep some parts back for their own consumption as part of the sacrifice, as part of the ritual. But the burnt offering, all of it belonged to God. Not a single part was left. And... The burnt offering would ascend to God, obviously, as a sweet-smelling aroma, and God would accept the offering. So what Paul is saying to you and I is pretty much that we become burnt offerings, that we become living sacrifices. That's oxymoronic, right? It's that we become walking dead men, that we become alive to Christ and dead to self, that we offer ourselves on the altar of sacrifice. Before you bring an offering to the Lord, before you start praying to the Lord, before you start interceding for the land, before you start, you know, giving um, and sowing seeds and, you know, investing in the kingdom matters and all that stuff, before you start serving, he's saying, first things first, you put yourself on the, on, on the altar of sacrifice. You are the first sacrifice that I want. After that, you can offer up sacrifices. Because the vessel that offers the sacrifice and the sacrifice, it, it's just as important to me, the vessel that's offering the sacrifice. paul says present your bodies as a living sacrifice so that's a life of consecration for you and i as priests unto god paul says offer yourself so what is consecration consecration means to be committed write this one down to be committed to serve the will of god as your number one priority in life that's the practical meaning because when we talk about consecration we have all these theological meanings that are not applicable To A person is like, okay, what does that really mean practically? That's what consecration means practically. It means that you are committed to serving the will of God as your number one, number one priority in life. Consecration is becoming the walking dead, someone who is alive to Christ and completely dead to self. And that's what Paul is asking. He says that, I ask of you, I plead with you, that you present yourself as a living but you're sacrificed because the burnt offering is completely killed, obviously, onto God. He says that that way you will be holy, you'll be acceptable, and he says that this is a reasonable response. So pay attention, because when I read this sometimes, I I, I struggle, and I I try to, I imagine in my mind that uh, God... Are you saying there's no part of me I can keep for myself? Can I not have the things I desire for myself? Like, you know, I would like to do certain things also. I have a will of my own. Why did you give me a will if you want me to submit my will to you? But Paul says in Galatians 2 and verse 20 that I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. New Living Translation says my old self has been crucified. It's no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. So we we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And Paul says something that's very important. Offensive, but important. Paul says that if you do not do this, if you do not, if you do not present your bodies as a living sacrifice unto God, he says that you are an unreasonable Christian. So there is a spiritual condition that needs to be diagnosed. It's the condition of unreasonability. Are you a reasonable Christian? Paul says that, I know it's asking a lot. I know it's asking for all of you. No part left. It's a burnt offering. It's voluntary. You bring it of your own will, and it's consumed totally. I know it's difficult, but if you do not do that, he says you're an unreasonable Christian. And I go, what? Unreasonable? He says, yeah. And he's begging us, he's beseeching us, obviously, because he knows that we have a tendency to be unreasonable people. So how do we diagnose this spiritual condition called unreasonability? Let, let let me let's find out if you are reasonable or unreasonable. Because I've heard Christians who say things like So I can just say the sinner's prayer, I can just confess God with my <laughs> mouth, believe in my heart that Jesus died and rose for my rose again. I believe it, and I can live my life anywhere I want to, right? and I'll go to heaven. Right, pastor, is that what you're saying? That's an unreasonable Christian. That's a Christian who wants the benefits of salvation but doesn't want to live for Christ. I've heard people say, and I've heard, this one is actually funny, someone said um, you know, there are certain areas of the world where Christians are being killed for their faith, um, and in actually some parts of you know, Nigeria at the time, the northeastern part of Nigeria, I believe, when a terrorist organization would go into churches Get the people and tell them to renounce christ or they get killed and i've heard christians in the western world say things like oh wisdom wisdom is the principal thing of course i'll deny christ so that i can live and then as soon as i live as soon as i live um i leave that place i'll go preach jesus <laughs> and <laughs> that's an unreasonable christian right unreasonable christian what can god do for me not what can i do for god That's an unreasonable Christian. And the truth of the matter is that we are raising unreasonable Christians in church today. Christians who think that God exists to do something for them. God exists to serve our purposes. And so when we need something, we go to God. But never understanding that there is an expectation. There is an expectation that God has of you and I as to how we live our lives and what we do with our lives. If your your primary focus is not to serve the will of God. If, even if the will of God is secondary, maybe it's a close second, Paul says that you are unreasonable. Oh, if you're not willing to pay the cost of discipleship, Paul says you're unreasonable. Remember that man, the rich young ruler? Jesus told him, go sell everything you have and follow me. And the Bible says he went away sorrowful because he had much possessions. That's an unreasonable person. Unreasonable. If you're willing to offer up sacrifices, but you're not willing to become a sacrifice, that's Unreasonable. If you're willing to give God parts of your life, so you say, God, you can have my service in church, you know, you can have my tithes, but don't talk about my relationship. Don't talk about my anger issues. You're willing to give God buckets of your life, but not all of it, that's an unreasonable Christian because the burnt offering is totally consumed and acceptable unto God. If you're a Christian who refuses the chastening of God because the Bible says that whom a father loves, he chastises, you're an unreasonable Christian. If your mentality is what's in it for me, why? Why do I have to do that? Paul says that that's unreasonable. If we're experts at making compromises, come on now, this one really touched us. Because you think about it sometimes, you want to do something, you know it's wrong. Your heart, the Holy Spirit has already convicted your heart about the issue. But you say things in your mind, okay? Not you guys, not you. You never say th- such things. That I know God is forgiving, I know God is merciful. Or God understands. So I'll do it and I'll ask for forgiveness of sins. That's an unreasonable Christian. Because you know that God is merciful and that God will not kill you (laughs) like he did to Ananias and Sapphira. You know, if you knew that God would kill you, you probably wouldn't do some of the things you do. But because you, you know that God is merciful, you abuse the grace of God. Paul says that we are unreasonable Christians. So I want salvation. I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. But I don't want to live for God fully. I want to keep back parts of me. God says, I don't, I don't take parts. I take all or nothing. I'm not a beggar. I've actually heard people tell me that I just want to be, I'll wait till I'm old. When I'm like two years from dying, then I'll give my heart to Jesus. I'll wait. i wait until I'm old. Let me enjoy my life. <laughs> and when I'm 72, I'll give my life to Christ. I'll follow the Lord at that point. At least then I know I have enjoyed everything I need to enjoy. That, that, is, that, that is an unreasonable Christian. You don't want to surrender. You want to wait. You want to give your life to Jesus, but you want to keep your life. And God said, Jesus said that anyone who k- keeps his life, who saves his life, will lose it. He would lose it. So are you an unreasonable Christian? Are you presenting your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God? Is it your number one priority in life? Listen, say it so that it enters your heart your number one priority in your entire life is to serve the will of God. Very difficult. Because like I said, it takes only dead men to follow Jesus. In essence. It's our reasonable service. So I ask myself, I ask Paul, why is this reasonable that God would ask so much of us? Why can't God just take what we give Him? The reason why is because He bought you by an act of your own will. You surrendered your life to him. When you said that sinner's prayer, what you said was, Become Lord of my life. You didn't tell him, Become Lord of my finances, but not Lord of my marriage. You didn't tell him become Lord of my career, but not Lord of my of my weaknesses. You said become Lord of my life. That's what that, that's the deal you made. You were bought with a price. And I know that this whole Black Lives Matter movement is going on right now. So you're saying, Pastor, are you saying that we are slaves? I'm not the one saying it. The Bible says it, (laughs) that we are born servants of Jesus. Paul says it. Peter says it. James, the brother of Jesus, says it. That we are, Jude says it, that we are born servants of Jesus. We don't have a will of our own because we chose to accept his grace. So therefore, there is an expectation of how you must live. You must live like someone who has accepted the grace of God. He has bought you by an act of your will. You know, it's rumored in some parts of Africa, um, I, I don't know how true it is, that if you want to get married, true story, so those of you who are not from Africa, don't say Africans are barbarians. This is just I've heard, that they whip you. They, <laughs> you're like, you're laughing. True story, they tell you to lie down and give you some lashes of the cane. I don't know how many lashes of the cane. Maybe it depends on how pretty the baby is. They give you like 100 lashes or something so that you can marry your wife. Now, if you, if now, <laughs> Imagine that you're that wife or bride, and that's your tradition, whatever, and you don't love the person, or you have no intention of loving this individual. Isn't it in your best interest to tell them, just don't bother taking the lashes for me, okay, because I'm not going to love you, so don't suffer for my sake. And so for many of us, we've seen the sufferings of Jesus, we've accepted it. And at the same time, we say, "Well, I still want back my life. I don't. I'm not going to love you. I'm not going to do what you want. I'm going to live for myself. But I want to. I want to sneak into heaven. I want to sneak into heaven." He bought you with a price. That's why it's reasonable for him to demand all of it. He gave all of, all, all of himself and much more. He bought you with a, at a very high price, by the way. A very high price. You are very expensive. You know, this is the concept of salvation here, simplified. Obviously, it's this: you're drowning. You're drowning in a river and Jesus was underwater, but he had a life jacket and he gives you his life jacket so that you can be saved and get, make it to shore and dies in your place. So technically, without him surrendering or giving himself for you or giving his life for yours, you wouldn't have any life. And so he says to you, well, when you get to the shore, I want you to leave and do, this, do, do these things for me. But you show up on the show and say, "Oh, thank you so much for your life jacket. I'm glad I have my life. Now I can go live my life. Anyhow I want it. Forget everything that you said you wanted me to do for you." That's what Christians do when they choose salvation, or say, "I believe in Jesus, but they're not willing to give their hearts to Him, to surrender their will to Him. He bought you with a price. He bought you with a price. That's why. Another reason why, another reason why, is because your salvation is very valuable. You, 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 okay, let me, let me, let me just, let me say this before I get into this particular point, because it's important that I that I stress what I'm about to talk about. There is a very popular conversation in, in in theological conversation about once you give your heart to Jesus, you're going to heaven, you're saved, and you're, you, you cannot, you cannot ever walk away from God, or you're once saved, always saved, is what it's called, and I want you to know that that doctrine is very dangerous and what happens then is when you give your heart to Jesus and you refuse to be a living sacrifice you fall into that category of people that your salvation becomes unsure and in some cases go as far as to lose their salvation so i'll tell you what the bible says pay attention in first timothy chapter 4 verse 1 it says that now the spirit expressly (laughs) this is the first place that you ever hear paul say this the spirit is expressly saying something Okay, what is Paul saying to Timothy? That in the later days, later days, that some will depart from the faith. That means that there are people who are currently in the faith. They give their heart to Jesus. They believe in Jesus. They believe in sacrifice. But they will eventually depart from the faith. So they can lose the salvation that they have. Why? Because they will give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrine of demons. Now, if this was a minister's conference or a pastor's conference, I would focus here on doctrine of demons because the Bible is actually saying that the main reason why children of God, Christians, will lose or walk away from the faith is because of what is being taught from the pulpit. That it's the doctrine that we teach. It's the doctrine that we teach that is imbalanced. And the Bible calls it deceiving spirits. You will have a breakthrough in the next 65 days and... God expects nothing of you. Just, just, just say amen. Really loud and really clear. And the Bible says that it's what comes from the pulpit, the doctrine that comes from the pulpit that will cause people to depart from the faith. So you can think you're saved all you want and you actually were saved at some point but you refuse to live practically the life of consecration to God. There is a path. There is a path to deviating. The Bible says that Straight and narrow is the way that leads to salvation. Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 says that, I discipline my body, I bring it unto, under subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. It is your responsibility to the Lord to give all of you, to pay a price to follow him and to serve his will and nothing else. It's a hard thing, but grace is available. Another reason why it's reasonable is because we need to live with eternity in view. Eternity in view. As followers of Jesus Christ, let me tell you something. Obviously, because we live on the earth, Um, Toby and I were talking about this a few weeks ago, a couple days ago actually because we live on the earth there is a very strong tendency for us to be earthly minded I'll say it again because you're very conscious of where we are today, the world around us you're very earthly focused you want to get married you want to have a good job or have a business, you want to have children You want to make money, you want to be comfortable, you want to be able to go on vacation whenever you want to. You want to be able to afford anything you want without having to beg. Very good and you should have those things. And so all the objectives that we have, all the goals that we have, when we draw our plan at the beginning of the year, the things we want to achieve, everything on the list is earthly. We're not living with our eternity in view, but understand that your earthly existence your time on this earth is a speck just a speck on your eternal timeline so because of course we're creatures of eternity we've existed before we came into the world the bible says that god knew us even before we entered our mother's womb so when we started to exist i don't know but also we are not conscious of our eternity past okay none of you remembers how you were or where you were and what conversation you had with the lord before you came to the earth you are not conscious of your eternity past of your eternal past so you come into this, this 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 minute frame of reference even if you live to be 120 years old it's nothing compared to eternity it has no end so you're so focused i want all these things i'm so i want to have this and you want to die you want to kill yourself on these things and they, they should have them i'm not saying you shouldn't have them but you forget to as jesus says to lay up treasures for yourself in heaven because the truth is When you get to heaven, there are treasures that some people have stored for themselves. There are rewards, eternal rewards that you would get as a result of how you lived on the earth. And I hear you are like, I just want to make it to heaven. There's actually a song like that. I just want to make it to heaven. I just want to make it in. (laughs) Listen, when you get there in that frame of reference, then you realize that, okay, I should have done more. I should have stored up more treasures for myself than I did. Your earthly focus, 120 years, is nothing. You will leave the earth. Nothing you make or acquire on the earth will be taken with you. Not a single thing. So it's reasonable then that Paul says, live your life in a certain way because there is an eternal reward for how you live. Many people, missionaries, brought the gospel at the risk of their lives. To a lot of countries as a matter of fact some the majority of these people when they left their home countries back then they left by ship they knew they were never coming back knowing they were going to give themselves so that people like you and i could hear the gospel and so you think that we're all going to show up in heaven and we're just all gonna have the same reward you're joking where all you've ever done is ask for more shoes more cars more money no no. Jesus says that you should lay up treasures for yourself in heaven. Many of us are acting in a way that, so you, you're going on, you're, you're traveling. Let's assume you're traveling from North America to Africa. Most of the you know, flights you, you, you have to go through, you have to transit in Europe. So imagine that you get to Amsterdam, Schiphol Airport. And so you're just in transit, but then you you go out, you go buy a house in Amsterdam, you buy the best house, you build a fantastic house with a nice lawn, a swimming pool, 12 bedrooms, movie theater. Very soon, the authorities in Amsterdam are going to come and they're going to kick you out because you're going to die one day. That's exactly what it is. Our, Our earthly existence is just a transit point. So many of us are here focused on I want this now I want this to undo this, but not thinking about the fact that you die one day you're not going to take anything with you but what about where you're going your destination eternity in view why is it reasonable for God to ask everything of us because of victorious Christian living believe it or not there, there's some issues in life that you have that god would only deal with or you can only deal with based on your stature with god based on your relationship with god the more consecrated you are the more authority you you have why do you think that jesus was different from everybody else you have people think oh well he was the son of god well no the anointing he had and the anointing with which he operated he earned that anointing as a man anything he said he would curse a tree and within 24 hours the tree would dry up why the authority he carried was as a result of his consecrated life. He was on the same page with God at all times. If you live the life of Jesus, you will do the things that Jesus did. I tell you that again. If you live the life that Jesus lived, you will do the same things that he did. And when you talk about the same thing that he did, oh, he could rebuke the wind and the storms will calm down. He's the one who could tell you, go to the river, put, let down your net for a catch and you catch so much fish that's the kind of life he lived, a supernatural life. If you live the way he lived, you will do exactly what he did. So every time you engage as a living sacrifice, when everything in you wants to do the opposite, and the only reason you do the things you do is because I know this is what God would want, have me do, because God will be pleased with me. Your stature, your authority in the Spirit increases. I've seen people who you, I fast and pray about an issue, fast and pray, fast and pray, fast and pray, and nothing seems to be breaking. And then you go to someone, And the person just says two words or two sentences and everything breaks through and you're wondering what's the difference between me and this guy well there is a journey there is some people there are some people who have done business with God long enough and their authority so some of the battles you fight in your life the only thing that will break you free from it is a consecrated life a life of consecration You know, listen guys. We are a generation that is very vulnerable. Very vulnerable because of the abundance of revelation. There's never been a time in Christianity where there was more insight than we have today. The revelation that we have today those guys who did the crazy exploits back in the day didn't have that. We have so much light. Young people pick up the Bible and they teach you like, wow, where did this guy get such an understanding? One of the things that's is missing is that we don't, we're not living a life of consecration. Not our fault in some cases because our world is just so dark. We're bombarded with a bunch of stuff. But God says, look, uh, the expectation I have of you is that you give me everything, a burnt offering. Don't you know if you've ever gone hunting or you seen someone go hunting when you shoot an animal the first thing you do when you get to where the animal actually fell is you lift its hands to make sure that it's actually dead or something so that you don't get killed and so for some of us when God comes to check up on us and says is this a living sacrifice or not we're still shaking we're still we're <laughs> you're, you're refusing to give up I, I, I'm, I'm still here I'm still struggling my will Lord my will I have this agenda some seasons God says be quiet but everything within you says I must retaliate I must speak back I must show them that I'm not a fool and you speak in some seasons God says do this you do something else a living sacrifice Paul says that there are many people who are unreasonable Christians But you're like, well, I have desires too. Are you saying that I should just live a life of poverty? I'm saying nothing of the sort, by the way. All right? Nothing of the sort because there's nowhere in Scripture that shows you that God does not care about his own people. The Bible says that I have not called the seed of Jacob to seek me in vain. As a matter of fact, when you read the Old Testament and you see how God dealt with Israel, God was always the person who initiated their prosperity. God was the one who initiated with Abraham. said, get out of your father's house to a land that i will show you and i will make your name great i will do this i will bless you so god is interested in your prosperity he's interested in all that stuff but god is saying to you that those things can never be your goals or your objectives if you have an objective as a priest and your objective is i want a big house i want to be a millionaire if that's your objective you have you think very little of yourself because what in our kingdom those are not objectives those are rewards So you go to a job, and you start telling the people on on, on the job, um, I want health insurance. And they're like, of course you get health insurance. Duh. (laughs) Okay, I want dental. Of course you get dental. Of course. Oh, I want EI. Sure, you get that too. I want a contribution plan. Duh. You get that. So that's what Christians are doing. We're, We're camping with the side benefits. We're camping with the rewards for getting the objective. The objective is, if I can just live my life, in a way that pleases the lord if i can be a living sacrifice unto him holy acceptable if as i go through my life i give myself primarily commitment my commitment is to the will of god then those things are rewards that would follow me they are shameful goals for a priest to have and jesus tells us in matthew chapter 6 he says don't worry don't say what shall i eat what shall we drink what shall we wear He says all these things the unbelievers are seeking after already so what's what's the difference between both of you for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things but seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you israel was designed as a priest nation but god always sought to their benefit and as i'm saying that right now some of you are like okay fine i'm going to consecrate myself to God because I know God will see to my benefit. That's an unreasonable mindset right there already. You consecrate to God because you love Him and because you took His life jacket and He died for you. That's why. Simple. It's a re-engineering of our thought process. When you serve God for the things that He can do for you, that means that you're not serving the will of God first. You serve God first because of the price that He paid for you. And because, you, because of that, you live responsibly in line with that. Listen, as you go through your day, because as I, as I, as I, this one really hit me um, hard because I, I, I started to understand how flawed I was. And I am actually, not was. Because every morning now, I say, God, <laughs> I'm going today. This is another day. Help me this issue i i kind of i kind of stumbled on these ones the past couple of days can you help me i want to please you i really want to please you i want to do better and then at night you assess yourself and you're like okay you you did better you did better you did better and then god starts to give you grace because it's a desire that you have just the same way if you have a desire for blessings god starts to bless you because you have it if you have a desire to live as a living sacrifice god would honor that so prayerfully ask for grace that when God will speak about you, he would say, this one belongs to me. You held nothing back. You held nothing back. The only thing I would ask you to do is that from today, as you go forward with your life, serve the will of God first. It'll be hard. There'll be conflict. Because Jesus got to the point where there was conflict. He said, if it's possible, if it's possible, God, can you can I not go this way? And he says, not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe to our podcast channel. If you want to be a blessing to others, share the message. To stay connected, Download our app and follow us on Instagram at Lighthouse Church Ottawa. We love you.